Hello, and welcome to Mysteries to Die For. My name is Jack, and I am the piano player and producer of this brand new podcast. Before you begin listening, I would like to let you in on a few things. First being that this isn't a brand new podcast. <laughs> uh, this episode was recorded in March of 2020, which was ages ago, as you know. That being said, I'm currently talking to you from the future of 2023, which isn't in the future. But whatever. Uh, looking through the numbers, we see a lot of listeners watching this first episode and deciding that they don't like the podcast because of the quality. I'm here to say that the quality is much better now, so if you can't stand this first season, just jump forward. In season two, we begin adapting stories told by authors who define the mystery genre, and in season four, we begin what has become our new normal. We have guest authors write their own stories with their personal twists, and we read them to you. I can assure you the quality of our podcast has improved over the last three years, and we have bought all new equipment four times over. And we just want to ask you that before you decide you don't like the season because of the quality and you don't like the podcast, we just want you to skip ahead and at least take a look at some of the episodes in our future. If you look at it and you still don't like it, well, that's a bummer, but at least we tried. So thank you so much for even just looking at our podcast. We are very appreciative of you. That being said, uh, thank you and enjoy the show. This is Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and this is a podcast where Jack and I combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of mystery, murder, and mayhem. Some episodes will be my own stories. Others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance meant to be heard. This is season one. The first half of the season comes from my book, Widow's Run, which was published in 2019 by Down and Out Books. If you love clever, sharp-edged mysteries and thrillers, check out Down and Out on the web. Today's story is about a funeral, a flock of robins, and a drop with just a little catch. This is episode one. What a lovely corpse you have. on a sunny day in May, shaking my head along with a hundred other people, wondering how someone so young and vibrant could, poof, be gone. I hid in plain sight, loitering on the edge of the crowd, a shit brown wig in place of my usual chemical blonde, matching contacts to camouflage my signature green eyes, and sunglasses plucked from the 70s ensured my face wouldn't catch the attention of the masses. A theater-quality padded suit added 40 pounds to my athletic frame, and clothes I wouldn't be caught dead in completed the illusion. The people who claimed to be closest to me, well, they would see what I wanted them to see. Another mourner lamenting the waste of a good life. Yeah, sunny day in May. I've always had trouble with funerals being on sunny days. I firmly believe in mourning, and I expect nature to get on board with it. 
A funeral wasn't a funeral if the day wasn't gray, with clouds so heavy that water leaked like tears. Any temperature that didn't chill through skin and muscle down to the bone was an affront to the guest of honor. Stark silence needed to be center stage, the absence of natural sound, the absence of life, and then fill it with the guttural cry of a bagpipe. Now that is what I call a funeral. <laughs> but that's not what I got. I got the Disney version. An expansive pure blue sky stretched from horizon to horizon. Wisps of cotton ball clouds, a decorator's tasteful accent, they floated listlessly above. Hardwood trees stood sentry over the church and cemetery, swaying to the rhythm of the breeze. Robins played tag, racing tree to tree, gliding between the branches. Robins! I mean, what the fuck? There should be ravens, or at least crows, big, black, noisy crows crying over my dead body. Well, not my body, but let's not split bananas. So why am I at my funeral? I'm not narcissistic. I'm here for a man. Where is the little turd? Faces floated above the sea of black, created a shoulder pressed against shoulder. Everyone I knew. Names ticked off as I searched for the one who went by black. The bells on the church rang out. Lemmings marched up the steps, trading the warm sunshine for darkness ten degrees cooler. Voices faded, leaving only the sound of shoes on the tiled floor. I took a seat in the back, in the far aisle. No sign of my man. The bells called out one final time. The pipe organ picked up and voices joined in. Enter my casket, a cherry box with ornate detailing on the edges and silver hardware. A very nice choice. Paul bearing for me were six men from different sides of life as I knew it. Representing my family was my sister's husband and my father. Now regardless of what my mother may have said to you, her first husband was my father. And I've never quite seen that expression on his face before. My life as the owner of a four-bedroom, three-bath suburban home was represented by the barbecuer-in-chief of our subdivision, who daytimed as a vice cap. That man dealt with more shit than a fertilizer salesman. I mean, nothing shocked him. But here he was looking sad for me. Behind him was a social worker who was the carrot to my stick at the youth intervention facility where I worked the last few years. The man was a marshmallow. He loved those kids more than some of their families did. Now pre-suburbia, well, I put the boom in kaboom as a CIA agent specializing in chemical weapons, and I worked with Enrique Torres. He's the one walking with his head high as he's carrying my casket. When a man covered your back for a fistful of years, he tended to want to see it through to the end, personally. Now the shortest and last role in my life was the most unexpected. In high school, I was voted least likely to marry. I created the category and spent $50 campaigning for the win. I looked at the Vegas odds on wife and I bet the under. How did I know I would get outmaneuvered by a PhD with a crooked smile? Now here was my husband's brother, a man I'd only met a handful of times, walking me down the aisle. Man, the family resemblance was so strong, it's hard to breathe. Why? Why did this happen? Excuse the whale birthing in the front row. It's just my mother. Her tummy tucked, 
three-day-a-week trainer, skinny, latte ass, was wrapped in black silk so tight you could tell her religion. She's going to need a crowbar to remove the cockeyed black hat shellacked on her teased nest of blonde hair. Nothing about her is natural or real. Even her crying is fake. Her nose isn't red and her makeup's still fresh and in place. Hypocritical bitch didn't have one nice thing to say to me in my 31 years on this earth. Not one. But the minute I'm dead, boom, she squeals like a cat underfoot. I can't believe she's gone. I can't believe my Annalisa is gone. Annalisa is my given name. This is the last time you're going to hear it. The only name you need to know is Diamond. A name as hard-earned as my reputation. In the name of the Father, the Catholic funeral service, my mother's current religion of choice. She went through churches the way some women went through shoes, just always looking for the better fit. I leaned back to inventory the other side of the church, and there he is, my man, the guy with the answers and a sixth sense of humor. Picture a small frame man with absolutely nothing striking about him, a man you would walk past in a hall and swear under oath the hall had been empty, a man 10 out of 10 dentists wouldn't recognize as their patient. That was Ian Black. One row up, other side of the church. Dipshit looked like he was enjoying himself. The rear door slammed against their stops. Instantly, a hundred pair of eyes snapped to the man stalking up the aisle. Leather boots with soles thick enough to walk across hot coals echoed with every step. Black pants and shirt, undoubtedly some ridiculously priced silk cotton titanium blend, tucked in and covered with an ass kicker leather coat trailing behind like a cape. His only color came from his dark mane of auburn hair. Sam Irish. And, if I read the clenched jaw correctly, he's pissed. I want to see her. The polish of London blistered under his seething mood, letting the Dublin alley surface through the festering wounds. Sir, you're disturbing a funeral service. Color blossomed from the priest's collar, tinting first his throat and then slowly flushing his cheeks. His voice squeaked when he next spoke. I must ask you to leave. And I must ask you to open the goddamn lid. Enrique and the boys and girls from my boom boom days, well, they've moved their hands to their sidearms. Slow, calm, practiced. My father stepped into the aisle. Step back, step back. I've seen Sam Irish in this mood, and you do not want to mess with him. My father must have seen it because he stepped back, and yeah, I breathed that sigh of relief. Open the lid, Irish ordered, in a voice honed on cigarettes and whiskey. The priest stood his ground. I will not. Ungood, very ungood. The hell was Irish thinking? What was he even doing here? We went back, like way back, pre-husband days. More than once, we ended up at the same place at the same time, and, well, let's just say we scratched each other's itches. Being dead created a feeling of impotence that I really hadn't bargained for. There wasn't one damn thing I could do about the scene unfolding. No, I just had to stand here like every other dumbass rubbernecker, unable to look away from this walking disaster. How do you open this fucker? Irish felt around my coffin for the lid. Sir, stop immediately and watch your language. This is a place of God. The priest lectured but smartly did not interfere. 
There was more than muscle but bulging under Irish's coat, and then the lid was open. A collective gasp rose. The church was small and there were no bad seats. Everyone saw everything, and it wasn't pretty. So why didn't I have myself cremated? If this had just been about me, well, I would have. But Gabriel, he's my husband, well, he wanted to be buried, and I did that for him. Nobody, apart from my mother, would have believed I wanted to be cremated instead of laid to rest next to my husband. When you're faking your own death, the last thing you want to do is give people a reason to look below the surface. They expected me to be buried, so I was being buried. Irish leaned over her, I mean me, both hands on the lid. His gaze turned as his head swept up and down the coffin. You sure this is her? Shit. Of course it's her, and who are you? My sister pitched forward from her first row pew. Irish gave her the same scrutiny he'd given my corpse. He let go of the lid. It slammed closed. A thunderous bang bounced, sealing the floor and back again. Irish didn't notice. His focus was on my sister. You have her eyes. What happened? Fire, her voice broke. She fell asleep with candles lit. One, one must have fallen over. Okay, so I wanted an explosion. Something truly epic, something diamond worthy. But do you know how hard that is to pull off? There would have been a fire investigation and a utility investigation and more questions and more tests. There was just too much risk. Instead, I had a little pity party on the anniversary of my husband's death. Maybe I had too much to drink and fell asleep on the couch with a bottle in my arms and candles on the table next to me. Were there risks? Sure, but I mitigated them. By the time the neighbors called the fire department, my living room didn't exist anymore, and neither did I. Irish blinked once, twice, and then he deafened the saints with a booming laugh. You're telling me that Diamond was taken out by a fucking candle? Shut up, Irish, shut up! He was out of his mind calling me by name. A quarter of the people in the church had never heard of Diamond. The half who did knew exactly what kind of man Irish was. You know, if the leather-clad entrance and, and bombs hadn't given him away. Irish cut off his outrageous laugh and replaced it with cold dominance. How stupid do you think I am? Enrique stepped to the aisle, angling his body for whatever came next. Three other agents did the same. You paid your respects. Now it's time for you to move on. Something between a growl and a rumble grows in Irish's chest. Diamond, come out, come out wherever you are. He spun in a slow circle. Empty hands flared wide. Ali, Ali, oxen free. He turned again. Marco! Polo, you Irish hothead. My mother shuffled into the aisle, her dress too tight, her heels too high. She's not here, you idiot. She's dead. Okay, this ought to be good. Nobody called Irish an idiot. Well, almost nobody. My point is, I don't recommend it unless you're armed with something much stronger than Chanel Number no. 5. Irish looked like a pit bull, and my mother a juicy steak. He licked his lips. You're certain this is Diamond? My 
mother rolled her eyes, an expression I lived under all my life. A mother knows her own daughter. I know her here. She struck her fist to her corseted breast. Besides, who else would be wearing her wedding ring? You're in the wrong place. There is no diamond here. Bah! She dismissed Irish with the royal wave of her hand and returned to her place. Take a seat or get out. Move it along, father. Married? Diamond married? The shock on Irish's face was worth shining up, showing up for. He was lucky I was dead or I would have held it over him for the rest of his life. Then he was in motion. His long strides carried him halfway up the aisle when he stagger-stepped. Something surprised Irish, a man who was surprised by nothing. He turned his head and surveyed the gathered, a predator selecting his entree. I couldn't avert my eyes. Everyone looked at Irish. If I was the only person looking at the casket or the priest or the rafters, well, I might as well stood on the bench and screen polo. Then he was on the move again. The brief appearance of the brilliant sunlight, the only indication that he had left the building. Now, available from Down and Out Books, a grifter song. Sam and Rachel may not be the kids they once were, but what they lost in youth they made up for with experience. Grifters, they've carved out life taking what they can without consideration for their marks. It seems to me a little thought might have saved these pair a whole lot of trouble. Now, grifting isn't a choice. It's the only way to stay ahead of the mob. This bundle of novellas follows Sam and Rachel across the U.S. as they jump from frying pan to fire. Created and edited by Frank Zafiro, A Grifter's Song, Season 1 and 2, are available from Down and Out's website, upon request from your favorite independent bookseller, and from online retailers. Links are available in the show notes. Now, back to the funeral. Well, the service continued. The priest, blah, 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 blah. My mother, this time bang like a donkey. Hee-haw, hee-haw. Finally, the pipe organ began the final dirge and my coffin hung from strong hands. I kept to my place, leaving with my row, staying in the thick of the line. I kept one eye on black and the other on the lookout for Irish. Impossible? Not when you've had advanced training. Chatter in the ranks picked up as the parade behind my coffin crossed the country road to the cemetery. Chatter! Do you see what you get with funerals on sunny days? Do you think there would have been chatter if it were 40 degrees? If buckets of water were pounding the crowd? If a flock of ink black crows circled above? Hell no! Frickin' Disney funeral. <sighs> no signs of Irish. I closed in on black. Quickening my pace, I matched his stride. He cut me a glance and then dismissed me. Fat chicks were not his type. So, um, are you a friend of the family? Black cut another narrow glance at me. Old friends. He walked faster. So did I. Old friends like college? When he didn't answer, I kept going. Older? High school? Was she the prom queen? She always seemed like the prom queen type. Prom queen? Sister, you have no idea. Yeah, Ian, I do. 
He tripped over a crack in the sidewalk, smooth as ever. I lengthened my stride and made him give chase. Diamond? His bland face reappeared at my side with amusement and a crooked grin. Loved the corpse. It gave a certain generic say pop. A linguist black was not. Nice funeral. Did you plan it? I shot metal daggers at the little birds who played follow the leader overhead. No, what do you have for me? Weeks before I killed myself, I contacted Ian Black for information. He was a broker, trading in facts, figures, names, and dates. I hadn't talked to him since my husband's funeral, but he pushed all in when I called. It began when a woman emailed me with a shaky video and a story. The hit and run accident that killed my husband wasn't an accident. She was there, a few feet away. When the polizia dismissed her account, she sent the video to me. I played it straight, making calls, tugging on old relationships. Reality was a cold slap in the face. The authorities did not want to hear from a grieving widow with a conspiracy theory. I didn't want Mrs. Gabrielle Rupchinskaya to die. They killed her when they took the last scrap of her sanity and squashed it like a bug. Fortunately, I had diamond. And using the information Black had, I was going Spanish Inquisition on anyone who spoke to, looked at, or thought of Gabrielle in those last days. Hell hath no fury, etc., etc., etc. Black's gaze raked over me like a TSA scan, his face contorted as if he'd gotten a whiff of month-old gym socks. You really let yourself go. You got my information? You don't want to cross a dead woman. I pulled up short and let him feel my point in his soft underbelly. So I went to my funeral armed. A woman needs to be prepared for all circumstances these days. First time I see you in a year and you insult me. He eased away from me, amusement wiped off his face. Yeah, I got it. Give. Jesus, Diamond, it's not on me. You think I'm going to walk into a funeral with it in my pocket? Keep walking. He paced next to me as we stayed with the crowd. I have it, but there's a catch. My hand was on his arm, ready to break it if the situation demanded. A catch? I need you to flesh out some game for me. One hour, two at the most. Black reached into his pocket and retrieved a blue post-it note. His gaze took my measurements again. If you're not up to it, I slapped him upside his medium brown hair. It's a padded suit, you pig. I couldn't have people recognize me. What were you thinking picking my funeral for the drop? He didn't answer, instead smoothing his hair back in place, his relief visible. Lose the fat chick suit, Diamond. I need a slut. A sophisticated slut. The crowd reassembled under a white tent, forming a loose circle around my coffin. I didn't want to stand here, listening to the whitewashed words of a man who didn't get my life, who would never get my life. I wanted the flat file black put together. I wanted to get out of here and do what I haven't been able to do for a year, learned what really happened to my husband. Blue square in my hand held an address. No name, no phone number. When, I said, when everyone else said amen. Black draped an arm around me. Anyone looking would only see a man comforting a woman. This afternoon works. I'll need an hour to change. Black's gaze pierced my cheap sunglasses. Take two.
A member from the funeral home wandered through the thin crowd, handing out white roses. Real roses, not wannabe carnations. Oh, somebody gave a damn and a few bucks. The priest spoke into the space grief created. At this time, I invite each of you to come forward and offer your parting words. The parade started anew. Focus, catalog names and faces. Who else thought enough of me to give up a day of golf? A few more CIA co-workers who didn't let a few little thing like a few years keep them away. Good people, no matter what their resumes said. Neighbors from the cul-de-sac where I played suburban grown-up. Good barbecue, good times, more, more good people. A group of teens and early 20-somethings moved with a herd mentality. My kids and their chaperones, my co-workers. After I retired from field work, I took a really dangerous assignment, mentoring the troubled, dangerous, razor-sharp youth of D.C. Every one of those kids should have been tempered by the dangerous neighborhoods, the hard lives they've been born into. Instead, they paraded silently by my hole in the ground, faces tainted by grief. The caboose of the line, a skinny punk in sagging denim and a black t-shirt, he glanced my way. His gaze caught mine and his eyes widened. I feigned disinterest when I really wanted to slap his hairless face. The girl in front of him said something, distracting him, and I stepped behind Black, impossible for the kid to see. Black stepped forward, and then I was up close and personal with my husband's headstone. I'd seen it every day from when it was installed until two days ago. Subtly, I blew him a kiss. Allow me to do introductions. Gabriel, meet the world. World, this is the love of my life, Gabriel Rubchinsky. Born April 28, 1979. Died May 14, 2018. One year to the day from the date that will be carved on my side of our headstone. I placed my hand over my casket, palm flat and fingers wide. Who's inside? Don't judge. It wasn't like I picked some innocent, productive member of society. She's past her problems, lying on a bed of silk next to my husband, wearing my wedding ring. It's been days, but my finger still wears the imprint. I don't think I've ever really been naked until I took off that ring. A hand settled gently between my shoulder blades. It's always hard to say goodbye. Take comfort, she's gone to a better place. The priest, doing his job and keeping the show moving along, he guided me to stand. I cursed myself using words unbecoming for a priest. Smart woman didn't lean over her own coffin, jealous of the body within. A strong woman wasn't caught off guard by a man of the cloth she didn't know and words of comfort she didn't want. And a sane woman didn't rebuke kindly blue eyes or turn consolation into accusation. A better place? Where she's going, the devil don't dare look. I tossed the rose sidearm. It hit one of those stupid happy birds who chose that moment to fly through the tent. The rose and the bird fell. Very satisfying thunk punctuated the ending. The priest's gaze followed me. Consolation gone from the gapping mouth, replaced by confusion and a healthy dose of apprehension. I lifted my chin as I turned away from him, power coursing through my body as I embraced my true self. I strutted away, transforming with each step into a sophisticated slut. Striding from the cemetery as fast as my chub rub thighs allowed, I headed to the powdered blue Prius that I borrowed from the parking lot next door to my building. I broke into a giddy-up run to get ahead of the pack. 
Starting the Prius was a matter of touching the right wires together and she was humming like the day she was born. I threw her in reverse and pulled out behind a dark crossover. Faster than you can say, oh shit, said crossover fishtailed, drove over the high curb and came to a cockeyed rest across the only exit. The driver staggered out. He leaned heavily on the car, considering the door and the tires as though he couldn't quite remember what they were used for. Ah, hell. I knew what was coming next. So this is the first episode in Mysteries to Die For. If you enjoyed it, our twist on storytelling, help spread the word by telling a friend or leaving a review. For less than the price of Diamond's 1970s vintage replica glasses, you can join our body bag brigade to help support the show. Mysteries to Die For was written by me, T.G. Wolf. Music and production are by the piano player, Jack Wolf. Hi. Widow's Run was written by T.G. Wolf and published by Down and Out Books. Until next time, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Go ahead, Jack. Take us out. <laughs>